I think the best gifts, and I, I bet you agree, I think the best gifts we ever receive are the ones we didn't see coming, right? For example, this year, I surprised Terry with a brand new little puppy. Everybody meet Bristol. Yeah, 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 yeah. Major bonus points for me. It was so funny because she kept dropping not-so-subtle hints about how much she wanted a little puppy because it is so quiet and lonely in our house without the boys, all right? But I kept putting her off, telling her, no, we don't need a new little puppy. We've got chickens. We got bees, right? We got plenty to take care of. We don't need another little puppy roaming around. But all the while, I was secretly working behind the scenes to make it happen. And when I finally shared the news with her, I mean, she cried with excitement. And no surprise, so did I. (laughs) But it was awesome because she never saw it coming. And those are the best gifts that we ever receive, the ones that we don't see coming. And I tell you that because that's really what I want you to appreciate in our Advent series this year. These are unexpected gifts, blessings from God that people did not see coming, like the gift that Zechariah received, the clarity in the midst of his silence. Instead of being sidelined by his unbelief, as you might expect, and maybe he did as well, God met him in that place and spoke truth into his life so that when he could finally speak, his mouth was filled with prophetic praise. In the same way, Mary received the unexpected gift of God's peace. She also felt that that security of, of God's presence, even in the midst of all her unanswered questions. She trusted in his sovereignty even though she lived a lot of her life with a lot of unknown. But still, in that place, she experienced a peace that surpasses all understanding. This morning, we're going to see the trend continue as Elizabeth receives the unexpected gift of the Holy Spirit, which actually is a really important detail In Luke's gospel, what he describes as being filled with the Spirit. And he introduces it in his gospel, but then he carries it over into the book of Acts, which was written by Luke as well. And so that's what we're going to look at together this morning, this unexpected gift of the Holy Spirit. So before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come to you this morning, we... We want to do so with expectant hearts. As we will see in our passage this morning, I think that's what we saw with Mary. I think it's what we see with Elizabeth. Just expectant hearts. Like, I'm not going to be surprised at amazing things God will accomplish because I know he can. And so, Lord, maybe in some way, would you just kind of settle our hearts this morning, whatever doubt or fear or worry that has consumed us during the week, would you do a miracle right now and remove it? And in its place, would you give 
a heart of expectancy as we look at your word and listen to it speak clearly to us today. Lord, we pray this in your name. Amen. If you'll remember, part of the angelic announcement that uh, was heard last week by Mary was this promise, this uh, assurance that, uh, that there would be a sign. Now, it was an unsolicited sign. It wasn't something that Mary asked for, but, but she was promised that there would be a confirmation of the promise that, that God gave to her. Even though she already believed what the angel had to say, because remember last week we looked at that and she ended that section by saying, may it be done to me according to your word. But the sign that God graciously gave to Mary was that her cousin, Elizabeth, would also be pregnant. A woman who was well past her childbearing years is now just three months away from having a baby. That's the sign that would confirm God's promise to Mary. And so after the angel departed, verse 39 says that Mary left in a hurry, (laughs) right? She didn't waste any time traveling from that rural area of Galilee that we talked about last week into the hill country of Judea. And you need to understand that that would not have been an easy trip, especially for a young teenage girl. It would have taken at least three days traveling by foot. And the journey would have been mostly uphill. So in the Bible, when it says they went up to Jerusalem, that's literal. It's literally an uphill climb, which would have been the case for Mary. But there were no obstacles that would stand in the way of Mary's expectant heart. Like I mentioned this last week, I I think this is yet another example of her faith that is seeking understanding. It's a, a genuine belief that grows with each step of obedience. Because Mary is responding to God's word with an expectant heart. She's not wondering, I promise, she's not wondering if she'll see something. She is expectant about what she will find. I believe her heart is filled with expectant joy as she enters her cousin's home. I can imagine as she does so, she walks in and announces her presence. Elizabeth, it's me, your cousin Mary. And I want to pause here for a minute to kind of think about this encounter from Elizabeth's point of view. Because keep in mind, Mary's arrival would have been a complete surprise. This is not something she would have seen coming. Because in ancient Israel, (laughs) there was no means of communication that would have given someone advance notice of their arrival, right? Unlike today, you didn't know someone was coming to your home until they showed up at your front door, which would have been the case in this scene. So Elizabeth would have been at home just doing what she does in her normal daily routine. But I suspect she's probably still processing all that has come to light in the last six months. Because even though Zechariah could not speak audibly, we know he undoubtedly communicated the details of his angelic visit. He probably wrote down 
the full narrative of everything the angel had to say. Because Elizabeth knew that his name would be John. And I know she probably knew as well that he would be the forerunner of the promised Messiah, the one who would prepare the way for the Lord. This would be their son. But all those thoughts were interrupted when she heard this faint but familiar voice in her home. And when she heard that greeting, verse 40 tells us that the baby leapt inside her womb, which in many ways confirms what the angel had told Zechariah back in verse 15 when he says that he, being this child in the womb of Elizabeth, would be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in her womb. And now, what was true for her son instantly becomes true for his mom. Luke 14 says, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I want to pause here just to make sure we understand the importance of this phrase in Luke's gospel. It's mentioned three times specifically in Luke's gospel. Verse 15, the one we just looked at, where John was filled with the Holy Spirit while in his mother's womb. The second one is here with Elizabeth in verse 40. The last time we've looked at as well, it's in verse 67 with Zechariah, when he could finally speak, when his lips were loosed and he spoke forth that prophetic praise. He did so because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. So those were the three times that Paul uses that exact phrase in his gospel, but then he carries it over into the book of Acts. The first time being in Acts chapter 2, verse 3, where it says, and there appeared to them, speaking of the disciples, Tongues as a fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all, there's the phrase, filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. What is, what's the event that this is referring to here? It's Pentecost. The day that the disciples spoke in languages unknown to themselves, but ones in which everyone in the audience could understand. So that there was not a person present who did not hear and understand the truth of the gospel being proclaimed. Luke goes on four other times in the book of Acts to use that exact phrase. So three times in his gospel, another let me do the math. One, three, four. So he said that same phrase seven times, but they all have one thing in common. Every single one of them. When you see that phrase being used, it is highlighting a Christ-exalting divine declaration. Every time. You see that phrase, they were filled with the Spirit. What it's highlighting, what will then follow, is a Christ-exalting divine proclamation. Just like the one we see here in our passage this morning. Where Elizabeth, after it says, being filled with the Holy Spirit, she says in verse 42, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Hold on just a minute. Who said anything about Mary being pregnant, right? There's no indication that, that Mary said anything at this point. 
In fact, she's so early in the process, she wouldn't even know it if she was. This is a Christ-exalting divine proclamation because look at what she says next. In verse 43, Elizabeth asks, how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? This is mind-blowing. Do you see what she just said? Elizabeth is making a Christ-exalting divine proclamation that Jesus is God incarnate. She says to Mary, you are the mother of my Lord. You see, this is the reason why this is a miraculous sign. Because it is validating everything that the angel already said to Mary. Mary's child will be called the son of God. That he would be our Emmanuel, which means God with us. The, the promised Messiah who would bring salvation to the world. Elizabeth is affirming that divine proclamation that would absolutely change the world. And it says in our passage, almost kind of in a funny way, John is giving his amen inside the womb. Because as soon as she heard that voice, it says that he leapt within her with joy. And so I want to make the point that this is a, an encounter that is filled with all kinds of miracles. This is a Christ-exalting divine proclamation. It's full of miracles. But let's not overlook the miracle of Elizabeth's humility. Because remember, we talked about last time how she was well past her childbearing years. That's why it was so hard for Zechariah to imagine how it was possible that she would become pregnant. Which means she's probably old enough to be Mary's mom. And she's waited her whole life to celebrate the birth of a child. But now her young cousin comes along, who's barely old enough to be pregnant, with even greater news. And, and personally, when I read that, I wonder, wouldn't it, wouldn't it have been easy for her to be jealous? But we see just the opposite, don't we? <laughs> Instead of dismissing her young cousin's pregnancy, she celebrates it. And she exalts both Mary and the child that she will bear. Both We see this both in Elizabeth and her son, John the Baptist, as they humbly receive their role in God's plan. John articulates that in his ministry in chapter 3, verse 30, when John the Baptist, referring to Jesus, says, he must increase and I must decrease. I just wonder if he learned that from his mom. Elizabeth goes on in verse 45, and she says, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. See, Mary is a, or Elizabeth is affirming Mary's faith and what the Lord had spoken to her. Notice she didn't say in what the angel said. Angel's just the messenger. Mary knew that she was receiving a word from the Lord and God. And so as we consider this, this 
unexpected gift of the Spirit, as it's being presented to us in our passage this morning, I want us to make sure we understand how this relates to us as well. And here's the most important application, and I put it first because I don't want you to miss it, okay? The most important application is this. The presence of the Holy Spirit always points us to Jesus, amen? The presence of the Holy Spirit always, always, always points us to Jesus. Every time, You see the Spirit. There is a Christ-exalting outcome to his presence. You see, the Spirit is what turns our heart from our circumstances to our Savior. It shifts our focus from ourselves to him. And that's important because if you think about it, our enemy, the deceiver, Satan, does just the opposite, doesn't he? He turns our focus from Jesus to ourselves. He wants us to be consumed with our personal needs, our our selfish desires, so that we really get wrapped up, lost in our circumstances, and lose sight of our Savior. But when we walk in the Spirit, He will always, always, always lead us back to Jesus, setting our heart and our mind on our Savior. Invite us inviting us into that life-giving fellowship that he has with the Father, illuminating our heart to the the truth of who he is. And the other thing that's important to understand is that the, the reason that this gift is so unexpected is because it's so undeserved. It's so undeserved. That's why we don't see it coming. Uh, Apart from the Holy Spirit, don't miss this, apart from the Holy Spirit, we have no desire or appetite for God, okay? Apart from the Holy Spirit, there's not a person on the face of the earth who's ever lived who has had a desire or appetite for God. That's why Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 3, verse 10, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. Look at that. There is none who seeks for God. Our hearts are naturally curved inward. And only the Holy Spirit can set us straight. We simply cannot choose to love God apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, and says, No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. God moves First, through the unexpected gift of the Holy Spirit, to which we humbly respond in faith, just like we see in the examples of of Mary and Elizabeth. And when we do, okay, don't miss this. When we do, that's when the Spirit of God brings the life of God into our soul. When we respond in faith, that's when the Spirit of God takes the life of God and embeds it deep into our soul. This is what Jesus describes in John chapter 4, verse 14, as a well of water springing up to eternal life because once the Spirit arrives, he never leaves. He is eternally present, inviting us 
into the eternal delight of the divine fellowship of the Trinity. This is mind-blowing, people. This is mind-blowing. And I want you to get your head around this because this is transformative. Okay, listen to how Michael Reeves describes this. I think this is a beautiful description. So listen closely to what he says. He says, it is by the Spirit that the Father has eternally loved the Son. We believe that. And so by sharing their spirit with us, the Father and the Son share with us their own life, love, and fellowship. By the Spirit uniting me with Christ, the Father knows and loves me as the Son. By that Spirit, I begin to know and love Him as my Father. By the Spirit, I slowly begin to love as God loves, with His own generous overflowing, self-giving love for others. So the other thing we learn about what it means to be filled with the Spirit is that when that's true, it can't help but overflow into the lives of those around us. We aren't filled with the Spirit for our own self-promotion or personal gratification, which we need to understand that because I think very often in our world today, being filled with the Spirit is somehow presented as a personal accomplishment. And then that can be used to compare myself as superior to someone else. I don't know what you're describing, but that's not the filling of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is given to us for the benefit of someone else, generously giving us gifts in order to be a blessing to others. The reason I know that's true is because of what Paul writes again in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, when he says, but to each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit. Why? For the common good. So the Spirit of God works within biblical community to conform us into the image of Christ, reshaping our lives in order to send us out so that we too might proclaim that Christ-exalting good news of the gospel. I want you to know I witnessed some of this over the weekend as I spent some time with the men in our small group for a short little retreat. I witnessed it as they shared their testimony of life-transforming work in their own hearts, in their marriages, and in their families. I witnessed it as they humbly spoke truth in love to one another, as they spoke truth in love to me. All throughout our time together, we kept coming back to this same place. And it was interesting because the Lord had been speaking these things into our heart independently. But then when we came together and we each told our story, it had one thing in common. The Lord was trying to lead us to a place where we better understood what it means to live out of our new creation identity. And it was a powerful moment when the Holy Spirit was fully present, transforming us through biblical community to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's what it means to walk by the Spirit so that you don't carry out the desires of the flesh. That's what it means to live in accordance with your new creation identity. 
Because the person who is filled with the Spirit is someone who has their eyes fixed on Jesus. It's just like we read in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It reminds us that we run the race with endurance. And we don't focus on the sin that so easily entangles us. That's behind us. Our eyes are fixed on what's in front of us, on the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus. Because here's the key. The more we deepen our love for him, the less we have a desire for sin. It's being captured by a greater affection. This is not tools and tricks to manage our sin. This is about fixing our eyes on Jesus so we increasingly fall in love with him. What we see with our eyes has the power to transform our lives. This is how a person is filled with the Holy Spirit and they flourish in life-giving fellowship with God. We actually enter into the, this is crazy, but it's true. We actually enter into the life-giving fellowship of the Trinity. That which pre-existed us, we are now invited into so that we may flourish to become everything he's created us to be. Having been united with Christ, we now share in that same self-giving love for others. Paul talks about this in Philippians. Listen to this in chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from, here it is, being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, there it is, being filled with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, looking, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the other. Do you see that self-giving love? that come from being filled with the Spirit that, that pours out into the lives of those around us. So when we are filled with the Spirit, we fix our eyes on Jesus. And through our life-giving fellowship with him, he transforms our hearts and our minds so that we too might take on that same self-giving love for others both declaring and demonstrating the Christ-exalting, miraculous transformation of the good news of the gospel. Amen? And so may that be true of every single follower of Christ in this room. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the joy that fills our hearts when we truly understand the gift, as Doug mentioned this morning, that we celebrate during this Christmas season. I do ask, Lord, that we live with the same expectant joy that we see with Mary and Elizabeth. I pray that we live with the same Christ-exalting divine proclamation and how we love one another. I pray that we might be filled with the Spirit in ways that draw us deeper into our love for our Savior so that we are 
no longer interested in the sin that so easily entangles us because our eyes are fixed on Jesus. Pray that through that, we are in one spirit and one mind with one another, standing firm in the truth of that Christ-exalting gospel and live in a way that brings glory and praise to your name, the name above all names. And we pray this in that name. Amen. Let's stand together. Who's the author of that song? Uh, the Gettys. Yeah, so the Gettys, name of it? Holy Spirit, living breath of God. Okay, Holy Spirit, living breath of God. Th- this is why I'm asking, because I want you to do something this week. I want you to look that song up. Okay, you all have that ability uh, to look it up, right? I want you to look the song up, and I want you to revisit the lyrics, because if you'll notice, it was a prayer, wasn't it? And I just want to encourage you to go through those lyrics and make that your prayer this week, especially as we prepare for Christmas. Settle your hearts on that truth. Invite the Spirit of God to do a work of God, transforming you into the image of Christ. Let that be one of the miracles that we all celebrate together during Christmas. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this church family. Thank you that we get to do this together (laughs) because we know it's easy to be distracted by the world around us. It's easy to grieve the Spirit who wants to fill us, but we reject Him. And so, Father, I just pray that this morning (laughs) that there is a joy that invites us into something better, that invites us into the fullness of all that you've made possible through the filling of the Spirit with lives that give Christ-exalting declaration of the miraculous transformation that comes from the good news of the gospel. Father, I pray that as we go about our week, that we continue to center our hearts on you and that we would make that song our prayer and that we would be intentional looking at each phrase, each of those words, and make that prayer our own. We ask this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, whose and our eyes are fixed on you. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Have a great day.